What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, the return uh, of the power. Uh, folks, before I introduce my co-host, I wanted to apologize for not bringing you these dulcet tones into your ear earballs last week because uh, I had no power. Asiasis, uh, I actually don't know exactly how to pronounce the, uh, the was tropical storm that came up the coast. Uh, it's something like that um came by and uh, we were getting ready to record and i had my power go out and it was out for five days so i got it back this sunday promptly lost it for a couple more hours on monday and then it's been back since so we're here to give you the megapod talking lots of music lots of well i guess not a lot of tv but uh, we're talking some tv from netflix and then also a couple movies but dave my trusty co-host is here with me, giving you our weekly what's going on in pop culture, or two weeks of what's been going on. I wanted to oh, ask yeah. you, as the the listeners have surely been anticipating, our the XXL magazine freshman drop came. How did we do this year in terms of picks, or how did you do? Because I, I don't really pick them. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, so this year, 2020, we had one, two, three, four five six of 12 picks correct interesting that they picked 12 people this year they haven't done that in several years that we were only planning for 10 um those six we got correct were the really obvious ones jack harlow little tj Ellie choppa who we'll be talking about later today polo g of course fabio ford and rod wave and we gave the reasonings for why they all made sense in the video so go check that out the predictions if you want um, n- nothing really too surprising with those. Uh, I will say that little Tekka not being here screams of him not really putting his name out there, not really caring because he was also one of my other locks. He is not here. Uh, Fabio Four notably was the Brooklyn Drill artist I thought they would pick. They had many to pick from. They're probably only going to pick one, and they picked Fabio. That's cool. Um, and that leaves a few of the other ones we didn't pick. So one of the picks I thought was really safe was Don Tolliver who is the Travis Scott clone, signed to Cactus Jack, made noise with Jack Boys, released that album earlier this year, had some hits. I'm not a huge fan of him. I don't think he's that special. And they didn't actually pick him, which surprised me, but they picked Little Keed instead. Little Keed is the Young Thug clone, signed the Young Thug. So it's like the same thing. Uh, that, that made me laugh. Um, they also picked uh, Baby Keem. His song from last year, Orange Soda, is hilarious. Uh, so I, I, he was someone I thought was definitely in the mix, as was 24K Golden, who also made it. Um, and then two women made it this year, Mulatto and Chica. Uh, Mulatto, I'm familiar with. Chica, I am not. I was thinking of Danny Lay making it. And more recently, I was thinking of Flo Millie. You know, I'm not really sure when exactly they made this, these choices. But either way, it's obviously good to see more women being represented because there's so many good ones to choose. And that only leaves one pick I have real beef with, which is Cowboy, who I didn't mention uh, in our predictions video, just because I thought it was kind of an underwhelming choice. And, you know, they had those scam rappers like Guapdad4000, TJX6, or even Duke Deuce from Memphis. There, there's just more interesting people they could have picked. And uh, I did see Guapdad trending yesterday along with Don Tolliver as people are like, where is this guy? So overall, they did a pretty good job like they had the past few years because there's a lot of good, good choices. And it, it is hard to narrow it down. So I'm still quite satisfied with what was picked. 
and looking forward to the freestyles. However, we get those on Zoom or whatever. How do you feel about the cover, even though it wasn't in person? Feel like they did the best they could? Yeah, I guess. It's just hella Photoshop, right? But look, looks fine. Yeah. Uh, Jack Harlow showing off a lot of leg. Interesting choice here, <laughs> but they did what they had to do, I guess. It has an almost like uh, warped tour vibe to mm, it a bit. Yeah, definitely like a, a poster. Feels like a poster yeah. vibe, yep. For sure. Um, well, Dave, again, well done on the picks. I'd say that even even if you only got, what, six of the 12 right, you still mentioned pretty much everybody else except for uh, mm-hmm. one. So, or even I think the one that you had beef with, you mentioned. So you, you, you're, you have your finger on the pulse as always. And that's why people tune into this show to keep their finger on the pulse. We're actually going to be talking about a few of these people today. Um, but we wanted to start with a bit of a surprise release that came last Monday from the Paul Institute. We, uh, we talked about Jai Paul last year mm-hmm. uh, as he released a remastered, uh, version of some leaks like from the early what 2010s I believe it was my yeah yep uh leak 413 bait ones yeah, yeah. obviously uh, the Jai Paul story very interesting very detailed we went over that when we talked about that album and you know his and en- the uh, en- enigmatic presence has not changed since bait ones was officially uh sanctioned and we get this Paul Institute dropped from the clouds, largely heralded by his brother and collaborator, A.K. Paul. So yeah, de- definitely a <laughs> unexpected thing. And that's basically what the, all the music blogs were saying. They're like, oh, crap, music from the Paul Institute. Nice, you know, because I mean, how, what, how else can you react? And shout out, uh, I, I love calling themselves an institute where they're like, we're these producers and we're going to bring in these collaborators and let them make songs and help them make them awesome. And I, I actually felt like, I felt like all these songs banged, dude. Like I thought this was a really great six track drop. Um, and it feels like you, you can tell that the Paul brothers, their own style kind of is touched all over these, but each song still feels like it kind of has its own feel to it and, and is individual to the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, some really big collaborators um, on here, you know, including uh, the, um, the track waiting which we added to the playlist mm-hmm. um which has i believe it's uh sorry i wrote it down here it has pino paladino who's the bassist from the who he's played bass with nine inch nails john mayer uh oh, and his cool. daughter um was the one that what produced that song and or, or made that song pretty amazing to get someone of that stature kind of collaborating with these very up and coming, very modern artists. But I think that just speaks to a bit of the, the swagger and the, the sway that the Paul Institute has. Um, what, which tracks did you find yourself digging most on here? Yeah. So that song you mentioned waiting from Fabiana Palatino. I thought that song was really great. Uh, I also liked the last song, the song right after that dynasty by pen pals, as well as shadow night by Renan. Rainin? Rain, not sure. Rainin? Rainin, like yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you said, they, they all have their own unique identity. They all sound pretty cool. Um, from what I know, AK Paul actually did release Be Honest a few months ago. So I guess if you're really on the pulse of the Paul Institute, you might have been expecting this a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, I think it is cool that like this whole like this incubator situation that's the way they d- describe themselves. Uh, we're starting to kind of see the fruits of that. And I'm looking forward to 
uh, any any more drops and hopefully maybe uh, just starting to have a larger presence. I know they had a bit of a legal fight regarding like the building that the Institute is like based out of, like their offices and studio and stuff. So sounds like that's behind them now. So hopefully they can continue to uh, really ma- make some more noise. But this, this, this is really cool. I think my only gripe really is that it's kind of hard to find on streaming services because it's uh, billed down under various artists and not under yeah. like a, a big name like Jai Paul or the Paul Institute, you know? Well, and that was something I was kind of thinking about, you know, uh, AK Paul, like you said, uh, dropped Be Honest and Jai Paul hasn't dropped, um, you know, new music on his own in, in quite some, some time. And these artists are fairly unknown, um, you know, unless you're, I think, really uh, on the pulse of, of these up and coming uh, creators. And I, I guess I'm wondering, do you think we're ever going to get like a AK Paul or Jai Paul released on their own or do you think they're going to be more of like the production side of things like kind of making music but more so collaborating with people yeah that's a great question i really have no idea um because they both seem to be interested in both as creators and producers and you know mentors of talent and stuff so they they really seem to be involved in all aspects of the game which is cool but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah, t- t- tough to be confident, right? I mean, given how long they've been musicians, right? Right, uh, haven't heard a whole lot, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's the sort of thing I think where I imagine at some point we'll we'll either get like the Paul brother drop or something like that. But I just get the sense from them it's going to be like these small packs of songs and maybe not that big advertised album that just doesn't seem like that's their style right now but who knows maybe as the institute continues to grow we'll see more and more of that um why don't we move on though to city morgue Sasmula and zilla kami is that right yeah. zilla kami zilla kami and Sasmula, you got it very interested to see how you felt about this uh trap metal rap rock <laughs> duo yeah they dropped toxic boogaloo last week which uh boy not what i expected really although if if you even just look at the cover of it you kind of know like you're going into something that's a little bit more uh, probably hardcore uh and man uh i actually was pretty impressed with how they were able to take these two genres that um i don't think you would usually think of together that that mesh well i mean there's always been rock and hip-hop trying to meld together whether it's you know little wayne or you go as far Mm -hmm. back as run dmc and aerosmith but i feel like this was a really uh well i don't know if even well done is the right way to put it but it just seemed to flow better than those sorts of collaborations this feels like a true metal hip-hop duo and Mm -hmm. uh I mean, even though I, th- I think it got a little bit grating at times and, and I think a little bit repetitive, I think the sound doesn't vary a lot throughout the album. It's still, it's short. It's like 10 tracks in like 18 or like 20 minutes or something like that. Right. Um, there, are, there are some definite highs and uh, I think that there's, they're a very interesting group to keep their pulse on. How did you feel about uh, Toxic Boogaloo? Yeah, I mean, I've always been checking in. City Morgue dropped uh, two mixtapes since the end of 2018 and Zillakami might ring a bell to some people because he was featured on Denzel Curry's Taboo 
and also on the Powers Pleasant single, Please Forgive. So he, he's, mm-hmm. he's been around a little bit, but honestly, I didn't really know who Zillakami was until he started making music with 6ix9ine. Zillakami is largely responsible for 6ix9ine's image and style. You can watch early videos where 6ix9ine doesn't really have a lot of tattoos yet, but he's kind of doing this like really aggressive yelling style with Zilla and for Zilla it always has come across as genuine and real and he's kept this musical identity to this point obviously we know 6ix9ine is just kind of a poser um, no, you don't say and and <laughs> and they since have beef and don't fuck with each other at all and it's kind of been interesting to read more about that but um I, I, I agree I think the the lyrics are incredibly repetitive and in general it's a pretty one note uh, project toxic boogaloo but like i said I, I do think it does come across as pretty genuine and you, i think you can still have a lot of fun to this i think the biggest highlight to me is one of the singles would be hurt world 99 just because that song is like incredibly sticky and again even if it's not like the super mm-hmm. lyrical thing just like the h-u-r-t like like yeah uh like hook to it all like i, th- I think it's pretty fun so yeah they're definitely not for everyone though no, certainly not. I, I agree. I think Hurt World 99 is probably like the, the anthem song on here and the one that it sticks out the most as probably the, the most re-listenable. Um, but I actually really love the beat on You Can SMD. Um, it, there's this like really <laughs> awesome part, I feel like, where like it kind of drops out and these like distorted like synths or something like that come in. It's like a really awesome um, moment on, on the album and one that definitely stood out. Uh, and on Yakuza, um, were they were they intentionally doing Little John? Like what? Like I I, I really was like, man, <laughs> I wonder if this is an homage or just kind of how things came out for them. But I, I think they're interesting. Um, it, you know, with an, with artists like this who are kind of mesh, making this the sound that feels so unique to them. I, I think w- the challenge, kind of like your. your you were kind of pointing out is how do they expand it and vary it to make it feel not so repetitive. Um, Mm. And I think as, as they move forward as a duo and whatever we see them doing next, uh, I, I hope they do find a way to vary it up, but kind of stay genuine. That's always the the hard part with stuff like this. Um, Any last thoughts on them though, before we move on? Yeah, I think even if they never really branch out too much from this, I think they still have a pretty solid lane because you, you can just see them fitting in, like opening up for other artists that are kind of adjacent to the dabbling in rock stuff. You know, think of like Suicide Boys or Puya. Or again, I think they opened up for Denzel once before already. But like, you, you can you you can kind of see this because they kind of represent that 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 Venn diagram that has started to come back into focus with rap and rock. So um, yeah. Yeah, d- definitely interesting. And, and these guys are from New York uh, because New York is fucking vibrant all over the place, as we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, when when you mentioned Den- uh, Denzel Curry, that that really feels kind of like th- that. That's sort of the the blueprint for them to follow if they're going to become more mm-hmm. mainstream. But why don't we move on to another New York artist, Nick Caution, dropping Open Flame. Yes, sir. I think- I can't remember. Did we have we talked about him on the pod? Did we talk about Nick and Knight with with Kirk Knight? We, we did not talk about Nick and Knight. That's a, a oversight by me. But we, we've only <laughs> talked about Nick and his uh, relationship to Pro Era and Joey, yeah. um, notably 
big feature on Ring the Alarm on Joey's last album. And of course, a big part of the Beast Ghost album from last year. But we haven't talked about any of his other stuff. Uh, his last solo project was Disguise the Limit way back in 2016, which has one of his biggest songs, What's Understood. But yeah, haven't talked about him yet. And he, I mean, he's been quiet, though. So <laughs> makes sense. Uh, yeah, got, I'm got laughing. Quick, quick, quick little EP. Yeah, and and I'm laughing just looking at, at your screen because him <laughs> in the Leonardo DiCaprio, like his face photoshopped over Leo in that picture is just, yeah, it's like chef's kiss, man. It's so perfect. Um, yeah, th- this EP was pretty interesting, right? So uh, I, I think there's some some really great moments on here and then just some stuff I'm like, uh, okay, pretty forgettable. Um, but I, I think the, the place we kind of have to start is margot robbie right like that's that's the bop off this one the one that's Correct. getting radio play the one that's getting attention how'd you feel about margot robbie yeah i mean well, that's that's classic pe that's classic beast mm-hmm. coast right that is some old school boom bap production uh traditionalist flow right but it's also littered with lots of quotables uh from a competent rapper so it's kind of kind of that formula we come to expect you're fans of these people but yeah, I mean, I think Margot Robbie's a t- total banger, and the line of fucking hits me is like, was it, uh, 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 told me it would be better next year, but I'm a Knicks fan or something, and it's like, <laughs> God, man, that, that sucks, because that's accurate. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like Margot Robbie a lot. That reminds me a lot of, like, classic Joey, like, 1999 mm-hmm. stuff, so that was definitely a highlight. Yeah, I also thought it was nice to hear uh, Michi Darko from Flatbush Zombies mm-hmm. on Familia. Familia. I, thought, mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty solid track. And the last one, too, Slipping Away, I, I really liked how it was a lot smoother uh, of, a, of a track than the other ones. It wasn't as like bouncy. It was just more like gliding over the beat. Uh, the beat. And, um, you know, I think like the first track, Demons Don't Take Off from Work, um, and, and more than I deserve with Flip De Nero. I wasn't like super taken by those tracks, kind of forgettable, but um, this is, it seems like from reading about this, this drop, Open Flame, this is kind of like the the primer for a bigger album later on that these songs don't really fit onto the album um, in nice terms sign. of, yeah, which I think is great that he has just these Lucy's he can drop that are this high quality and that he has something a little bit bigger, a little bit more, um, curated that's going to be coming out down the line so i'm definitely looking forward to that yeah more than i deserve i agree it, it doesn't wow you but it did stand out to me because he's using a different flow than that, like that classic nick that classic throwback new york flow mm-hmm. and that kind of reminded me of like on beast coast with coast clear where he's doing a little bit of something outside his comfort zone so interested to see if that next album next mixtape whatever it is if if there is more of that diversification of sound. Cause again, like even if he doesn't want to do that, he just wants to make some traditionalist stuff. There's still an audience for that. And yeah, you'll never become a superstar doing that, but you can still be very successful. So uh, it's, it sounds like he's like a lot of beast coast guys open to more, more things as well. So that's cool. Um, actually Famiglia was interesting to me because I thought the Meech mix on his verse wasn't that strong. Like I had to listen to it again. I was like, I, I can't really, I had a hard time picking out some of his lyrics, which is not normally the case. So I wonder if I don't know who I don't know who mixed it. I wonder if that was a product of quarantine. I don't know, but uh, hmm. I deal with the song though. Yeah, I think overall this is a solid EP. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the bigger album down the line. Mm-hmm. 
I think, Dave, we got to go from East Coast to West Coast here. Um, talking Shoreline Mafia. Mafia business. Um, yeah, you know, Shoreline, uh, not, not a, a group that I feel like I've been paying much attention to. Is this, someone, is this a group you've been really tuned into? Oh, yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge fan of, I'm a huge fan of Shoreline Mafia. They blew up in end of 2017 in the 2018 dropping that debut mixtape shoreline do that shit which they then re-released in the spring of 2018 when they signed atlantic records um and the lead up to that mixtape they saw a number of really big songs musty none major this is a uh, four-piece outfit from la diverse group of guys ogz phoenix flexin rob vicious and master kato and they just kind of started taking over LA, just selling out fucking shows constantly and just kind of quickly developed a rabid and diverse fan base. And that's an interesting thing to note is that in a melting pot city like LA, having a diverse group of Jeezy is, is Mexican, uh, Phoenix is light skinned, the other guys are black. And seeing uh, kind of that, that range of fans coming together around their music and those LA fans seeing the LA nature in their music and it all coming across quite genuinely um is cool to see and you can read uh there's a nice story from 2018 in fader by uh paul thompson that kind of goes into that um and i think what, what stood out to me first about Shoreline mafia you hear these songs and some of them uh i think the case with this new new album mafia business was also the case on their mixtapes and their eps where not every song is all for the guys they kind of take their turn. Sometimes it's a solo song or just one of them with a feature that's not from the group, right? And they're, they're, they've reiterated this in interviews that they're really confident in their own individual identities, but still very much dedicated to this group, to this foursome. And I think that's really cool to see because I think a lot of times when we hear groups and someone stands out more than the other ones, in this case, it would definitely be OGZ and Phoenix who just rap more than the other two. Um, you know, what we, what we do with Sway Lee, what we did Quavo, it's like, oh, you should go solo. You should leave these guys behind. Mm. And it's cool to see that they are really like self-aware about that kind of stuff and not really interested in that. Um, also on that mixtape, Shoreline do that shit on songs like none major and what's the deal. And, um, I think musty too, uh, they, they intersplice this audio from a Fox local Fox 11 news report where, in which uh, Fox, that Fox station showed Shoreline Mafia music videos and them like pouring like codeine into their drinks and sipping lean. And like you, <laughs> you hear these, these real quotes. And like when I heard them, I'm like, oh, that must be fake. But it was actually real. And like it was kind of like viral marketing that this Fox news station did for this group. And like the best part is you have this quote from this anchor and she's like, when asked for comment, Shoreline responded, expletive Fox, we sip juice for life. And I'm like, that had to be fake, but it was literally on TV. It was not fake. What a and line. it's like, obviously I don't support like abusing lean, like RIP ASAP yams. And like, I hope these guys uh, take care of themselves. Oh, geez, he has put on some weight since he blew up. So like, please be, take, take care. But this shit's hilarious, right? And it's kind of just been a slow burn leading up to this, this album, their, their, their first big release on Atlantic Records. And uh, while I don't think this is nearly as strong as that early stuff, it, this, this is definitely a bloated album. Uh, it does have a lot of the qualities I still like from the group. So 
I think they're interesting to me because it didn't seem like they've had a big pop in the East Coast, but they are rock stars already on the West Coast. Yeah, it. I, th- I think you kind of summed up my thoughts really well. You know, going back and listening to some of the hits off, like you mentioned, None or Musty, um, I-, I found myself listening to this album and it was almost kind of like, oh, this song bops. And the next one, I'm like, okay, okay, just eh, not much. And then the, uh, maybe a track or two later, like, oh, here we go. Like, and it would pop back up and it felt like it was like pockets of really, uh, really great songs and then some songs that just fell totally flat for me and I felt like when I was um, probably most engaged was when the music was a bit more bouncy like a little bit more upbeat Um, I think when they tried to go a little bit more melodic or a little bit more downbeat I found myself tuning out a bit yeah I totally agree you think of a song like change your life Mm -hmm. where it's that's just OGZ and Phoenix and that's them you know, it's them talking about like, cause like, I mean, their music is, is pretty simple. Like lyrics wise, it's all about uh, having sex and right. getting fucked up. Basically it's pre- pre- pretty straightforward <laughs> stuff, but party it, it's music. great, great party music and change your life is interesting. Cause it's still about having sex, but it's how like, they're like really good dudes still. And they'll, they'll treat you right if you're having sex with them. And it's like, it's like the different side of that same coin, but because it's more stripped down and, 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 almost R&B indebted, you're like, hmm, do I want this from these guys? Me? Not really. Um, And I think, you know, you look at this and you're like, oh, there's a future feature. That screams Atlantic Records made this. Uh, But you also have a Wiz feature, which is kind of weird that these guys would make a song with Wiz. But that that, that song does kind of stand out to me because it's, you know, they're interpolating Montel Jordan. This is how we do it. You know, it's like, all right, that's pretty sweet. And, you know, on uh, Run It Back, the first... uh, Real song. OGZ's doing a juveniles back that ass up flow to start the song. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I'm fucking here for that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think this overall, it's tough. And, you know, tacked on at the end, you got bands, which already came out almost two years ago, their biggest song. But uh, there's, we still still have some other moments too. Like, I thought Gangsters and Sippa is a lead lead single. That's probably my favorite beat of the year because of that beat flip about 30 right. seconds in where those horns come in. I think that shit absolutely rules. Um, <laughs> and then fuck it up with Mike Sherm. We talked about Mike Sherm briefly because he was featured on that Pilo album last year. Uh, he just fucking spazzes on that song. And I mm-hmm. honestly, I think he really steals it from Phoenix. But yeah, I mean, if you're a Shoreline fan, there are things to like here. But overall, this was a little little too, too, too dense for me, which uh, I'm not concerned. But yeah, it's a, it's a, li- a little bloated. Yeah, it, it kind of just screams like first major label album where they just want to get like everything out. And I, th- yeah. and I think the more that they're testing stuff and seeing what hits, they're probably going to refine a little bit more, take some more calculated chances. Whereas here, it's just like, let's just get all of our ideas out and, and see what kind of hits. And also, I mean, uh, especially in the age of streaming, having more songs for people to go through is never necessarily a bad thing. So um, yeah, I, I think it's a, a decent first drop and we've already added a couple of of songs um from the albums we've been talking about to our nostalgia best of 2020 playlist so search for that on spotify and give it a follow uh you know you mentioned xxl at the beginning we're actually talking about an album a fairly long album (laughs) one of them uh nle choppa dropping choppa top shotta top shotta sorry i couldn't find (laughs) my notes here um which 
you know, he dropped what Cottonwood, probably a a mixtape, but yeah. however, by whatever Debut standards, EP mixtape back in December, his first official release. Um, only only just now, only seventeen still. And kind of crazy that you know he's only seventeen and and dropping an album like Top Shotta, um, because while I think the first half of Top Shotta is. Um, you know, it's maybe not the most succinct part of the album. I think the second half has a clear vision mm. to it. Even if I don't know if those songs hit as well as some of the, the more upbeat songs, I think when he is trying to go to a deeper place in terms of his lyrical content um, and just the topics he's talking about, I think um, it's impressive that he's trying to kind of hone in on on certain ideas instead of just putting music out so i I guess like to summarize my review it's decent but i i respect like the vision on it and i think that's a good sign for choppa for his longer the longer game the longer career where are you at with it though yeah that's very similar how i feel too because the big nle got big really fast at the beginning of 2019 for his ridiculous energy on the mic which shot a flow and then he kept that going with i think the superior song camelot which is on this album top mm-hmm. shot and it's like you see that like this guy just has really aggressive punchy bars and youthful exuberance which would make sense because again he was blowing up when he was 16 and you get more of that on this debut album like you said in the beginning and i think when it when it when it works best is songs like Double Back and Make Him Say with Mulatto, who's now joining him on the XXL Freshman cover. But I was surprised to see such introspection at the end, uh, the second half of this album, because again, he's so new to this that you just really wouldn't even hold that against someone of this age and this lack of experience, right? Yet he he's willing to kind of open up and I guess maybe soften up a bit too and talking about literally songs called paranoid and depression it's like he's being being pretty pretty upfront about it and i don't know if the way he's doing that right now is something i want from him like i still think his strength obviously right now is lower stakes high energy but the fact that he's willing to do this i think is a good sign and uh, speaks to you know uh, longevity you you would hope um i think you know and and that, that, that perhaps thoughtfulness maybe does make sense because he blew up last year. He never signed a major major deal. He was using United Masters, the independent distribution company. And he became a millionaire, independently kept all his masters in publishing through all that year. And I believe now he is, in fact, signed the Warner Records, but it seems like he was able to negotiate uh, much more control over his career and get I think, some higher, higher payouts than the traditional teenage uh, upstart rapper so seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders too despite what some of the songs might lead you to believe so yeah it's uh it, it's it's ultimately a mixed bag in terms of songs you want to hear but in terms of like investment in the career and you know justifying the freshman status i think i think it's earned when you're saying that that's what like these songs are not what you want to be hearing from him is that because you feel like 
in terms of uh, getting into that deeper lyrical content, maybe these more heavy songs, mm. he's not like able to craft as well right now as yeah. he is these, these bangers. Okay. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I just don't think I, listen, I like listen to them right now. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like no offense. It's just like, I'm not, I don't, these, this, these aren't really hitting right now. So right. hopefully yeah, that, that comes in time. And it's funny to be like thinking about the album and, and thinking like the second half is probably, I think, the the better vision with the first half just being the more enjoyable one to listen to even if right. it was you know kind of all over the place i think in terms of like there wasn't anything tying these songs together um so i, I guess in that sense i almost saw this as a double album yeah. in terms of that first half though i think the song make him say with mulatto was probably one of the ones that stood out to me i think mm -hmm. i think she comes on and really like injects a different energy into the song which i thought was great you mentioned camelot already which i thought was really good um what other songs on this actually stood out to you yeah like i said double back i like i think walk him down's interesting to me because that that's become a big hit for him featuring roddy rich and for whatever reason that song doesn't really do much for me i don't really have anything bad to say about it i just don't just doesn't hit hit the right way. I don't know, but it seems to be successful for him. I don't know if we need all of Shot of Flow 3, 4, and 5, but I do like Shot of Flow 5 quite <laughs> yeah, a bit same. as well. Yeah, Shot of Flow 5 definitely stood out to me. Um, any on the back half that you liked? Uh, yeah, I, I guess um, uh, Paranoid probably the best. Um, mm. uh, the fact that he has the Warner deal now probably speaks to how he has a little baby feature but I, mm -hmm. I thought narrow was just okay. But yeah, yeah I, I think fan, fans of, you know, new fans of NLE probably will have some things to like here. Definitely. Um, we're definitely gonna put probably one of the, these songs onto our Spotify playlist. So again, tune into that. And I'm sure we'll also be putting a song from Amine on there, dropping uh, Limbo, first project since 0.5 back in 2018. Uh, obviously, Amine kind of came onto the scene with his uh, 2017 project, Good For You. Mm -hmm. Really, like I think, established himself as this lighthearted, fun, upbeat rapper that um, seemed to kind of be carefree in a lot of senses. And then mm. you listen to Point Five just a year later and really switched direction, going in a more trap direction. Mm. Uh, I think lyrically, uh, not nearly as strong. And it kind of left, uh, I think, us in our review feeling like we're not really sure exactly where Amine is going here, whether he's trending in the right or wrong direction. After listening to Limbo, how are you feeling about Amine? I'm feeling good, dog. Same. <laughs> I like Limbo a lot. This is strong, man. Um, like you said, with Good For You, not only did that establish him as someone who could really make this kind of carefree, vibey hip-hop but it also validated him to a lot of people who had no idea who the fuck he was until caroline gets to number 11 in the country he so he he kind of uh proved that he he was a real artist and not just a one hit wonder flash in the pan but then like you said that 1.5 it's just like man like this ain't special this is not why we like Amina. and not that you need to do the same thing all the time but this this right here is not going to stand out all that much and I did like reel it in, you know, and that song did go platinum for him. But like hearing Limbo, it's like, wow, I got to see this. He, he just immediately feels way more wizened and like wise beyond his years all of a sudden, despite the fact it's only 26. And it's like, you know, you can read there's a Portland, uh, no, sorry, it's a GQ 
profile where he speaks about uh, being a rapper from Portland, a place that does not have really any hip hop hip hop community at all, and it's a place that doesn't have a lot of diversity. You know, it's a you know quote liberal place, but mainly white people, right? And it's it, mm-hmm. his his it's kind of struggling with the what, what he sees in his hometown stuff. Interesting to hear, and we kind of thought he was a thoughtful guy already. But you know, you listen to this album, and I think he, you know, he, I think he covers a lot of ground while still making some really fucking hard hitting songs, you know, but like you listen to a song like mama at the end or fetus. Right. And he's like really talking about, you know, and like the, the whole thing of like taking care of your mom, once you make it, it's not a new idea in music, but I think he gets it in a nice way. And even fetus is I think, quite interesting just because while someone like Emily Choppa just kind of mentions off hands that he has a off hand, that he has a baby mom. I mean, he's talking about how it's like, man, you got to, make sure you're, you're ready for this. And I don't know if I yeah. am yet, but if I do, this is what I want to do. And it's like, wow, you know, this is cool. But like, yeah, I'm not going to probably revisit those songs all that much, but what I'm going to re- revisit is stuff like My Reality, which is just straight up jazz rap cut, you know, and Dead to Kanye. And yep. something that like, something like Woodlawn. Woodlawn's not that different from 1.5, but man, does that shit fucking slap, you know? <laughs> so I like this a lot. Yeah, you know, it, in talking about, the projects that came before this um, limbo feels like a direct follow-up to good for you because I think we're good for you kind of is that carefree almost like uh, kid like sound where he's so uh, just like an up-and-coming bright-eyed bush-tailed person Kobe feels like kind of the the tone setter for this album where it's like yeah i was a kid and when kobe died like this is where i'm at now this is this this is the transition for me into being an adult being a man not being as carefree but still kind of holding on to what it means to be amine and i feel like he he really gets at that through this album where like you said he balances that that good for you sound and, and that vibe while also uh, sprinkling in songs about being a more mature adult being more introspective about life i think you really hit on a couple of them i think the song kobe is also an introspective song about grief and about um how these events kind of and, and these people that you look up to really shape the way you what you see and understand the world and, and just the way you see and understand yourself within that world so i uh, i mean i just am impressed because uh, after 1.5, it just felt like, uh, is he, is he just chasing the sound? Is he just chasing whatever he thinks will right. get him to that right. level next? But this feels more like an artist who is understanding who they are and what, what music they want to make. And that's really exciting. Yeah. I, I think just, there's just tons of cool moments too. Like on my reality, the last track, uh, was it <laughs> AI when it comes to the checks I'm like taxes? you know obviously alan iverson reference yeah and then even like uh, the lead single shimmy where he you know it's obvious homage to old dirty bastard in the classic song that at the end it's like really cool to hear that stuff and um you know he's worked uh, he's i think i believe he's worked with charlie wilson before but i i did i didn't quite enjoy roots and i thought the jid feature was especially strong uh one of the unexpected moments for me was on pressure in my palms fact that slow tie and vince staples actually yeah. share one verse and they both i think both crush it vincent would really floats on that beat but they, they don't outshine amine who lets mm-hmm. them go first basically and then takes it home so um and even the such first a cool track, moment I, I thought burden really hit too you know and um 
and you want you want the carefree, low stakes in Nene. I think compensating with Thugger is really good as well. So, so I think there's a there's a ton here, a lot of re- replay value, and uh, at the end of the day, just really exciting that Amine really seems to have kind of found found his direction. That that's that's great. I definitely agree. And it's funny hearing you mention all these songs because I'm agreeing with you as you're mentioning like, oh, this song is great for this (laughs) reason. And you probably didn't even mention the song I like the most, which is Becky. I just really feel like that feels like such a a true Amine sound. I think the the lyrics in there and the way that he kind of switches up his flow a little bit on the the chorus, just it all works so well. So um, yeah, uh, I think this is definitely a, a success and such a step in the right direction for Amine definitely check out the album if you haven't um and again check out the Spotify playlist all right Dave well we saved the most interesting probably for last year Dominic Fike now this is an album that came out two weeks ago what we weren't able to talk about it because again power issues but I think we were really excited to get to this because Dominic Fike is a pretty interesting figure in music and uh, I think his, his debut album, What Could Possibly Go Wrong, is a, uh, a, an inconsistent, but I think very fascinating uh, debut album. Now, Fike is, is kind of a, uh, I don't know, collaborator or part of the cohort of one of your favorite groups, right? Yeah, uh- I don't think I really know who Dominic Fike was until Brockhampton posted on their YouTube channel a video titled This is Dominic Fike. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. Well, if they care about him, maybe I should take a peek and figure out why. Then I, then I think around that same time, I, it, it must have been already out by now, but Year Three Nights, which was that one really big single off that Don't Forget About Me demos project from October 2018. And Three Nights, I feel like that must have been some commercials, right? Like, I feel like I heard that song a lot. But I was looking, it never actually charted here in the States. And actually, it was a much bigger track for Fike in Europe, surprisingly enough. Mm. But that's a song that got a lot of like internet attention for kind of being like a throwback pop, like soft pop sound, right? And having to kind of like that really like sticky melody and stuff on top of that. Um, and then you read about Fike inspiring a label bidding war off that demo project, which was just like thrown up on SoundCloud really nondescriptly. And that uh, ended in Columbia Records signing him. And they actually took down that music. I didn't know about this after the fact, but apparently that demo tape at one point was unavailable until Columbia, re- I think, remixed and reposted it like officially so they could really like, you know, get the streams coming in and stuff. Then he gets what he, so he got the Kevin Abstract co-sign, you get the Billie Eilish co-sign. Then Dom pops up on Kevin's solo album on Peach, which I think was one of the highlights off Arizona Baby. And then, then what? Like, we're just waiting, right? We were waiting for this guy who it's like, you, you can just, you feel about Dominic Fike's music and the way everyone in the industry is talking about it. This is someone who has real star potential and, a, you know, th- th- being indebted to the past in pop is not new right now. It's pretty popular, but... I don't know if anyone's really doing exactly what Fike tries to do all that much in terms of like that emo pop, that soft pop, right? Mm-hmm. Like even pop rock a little bit, you know? And we finally got that debut album on Columbia Records. And 
Pat, what did you think after all this time, after quite a considerable amount of hype, what could possibly go wrong? Did something go wrong? You know, it's, it's fine. It's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I think, I think this album is, is a bit of a letdown because there had been so much hype. I mean, someone that young and unproven getting a $4 million record deal is a hefty place to start with some expectations. And he's obviously a bit of a, um, I think, a, I don't want to say troubled, but he's had, he's had some issues, you know, 2018 arrest for assault. Um, and, you know, I, didn't he then like break probation too during that or something mm-hmm. along those yeah, lines? Yeah, it's a little so, vague exactly what happened, but. So he, he's had some stuff going on and I think that comes across here, but mostly I think I was taken aback with um, uh, some of the, the, the tones on, on this album mm. in terms of lyrical content. There's one moment that really stands out. Yeah, and I, I maybe we should just jump right into it. Cancel me. I'm, yep, I'm guessing you're talking about. Yeah, cancel me. Almost, I think call it the rest of the album for me in a way, right? Because cancel me just feels like such an immature and, and uninformed um, uh, perspective on like the whole like Me Too movement and mm-hmm. and um, you know how, having appropriate sexual relationships and and and. Uh, treating people with with respect kind of and using that as like almost a way to like get away from stardom and and you know how hard it is to be famous and have people know you after hearing it i just kind of approached the rest of the album as oh this is a uh a person that hasn't really totally thought out everything that's on here and that's kind of i think how I, i see this album is i think there's like glimmers of moments where you can see like oh this 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 kid someday is gonna make like an album that's gonna be a fucking banger like he's gonna have like the huge teen following or people are just really into it but i just don't think he's there yet and i think he's still kind of refining himself as an mm-hmm. artist and i don't know how, how did you feel about cancel me though yeah i mean on in a sense I, so i think the song itself actually sounds pretty good mm-hmm. but in a sense like that's a very modern young person way of thinking about making a song about being want to get away from stardom and fame and all that. Right. And it's like, I, I, in a sense, I can almost appreciate that and being more vague about saying, like, can't hope they cancel me. Right. No, it's cool. But at the end when he says, I hope I get me too. It's like, I mean, yeah. dude, like, like it's, it's not just some like prop that happens to people. Like there's, there's, there is reasons behind this, whether, whether it's even real or not. Right. And it's like, it's just, it's just kind of a gross thing to hear. It's like, I hope I get yeah. me too. It's like, nah, man, like you got, you got to, you got to take it back a step, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, to your point, I, I agree that, you know, he, re- now he reminds me of little peep where it's mm. like all this musical promise, yeah. multiple genres, everyone heaping praise. And yet we're not getting the return on that praise at this time. It's all theoretical. Mm. Reminded me a lot of little peep right now. But I still, yeah. I, I, th- I think, I think he's further along. Little people, as I do think, there's some sticky songs still, and even uh, phone numbers, the single, loose single from I think last year that didn't make it on this. I think that song is great. You know, I think there are, there are, there are moments where he can really shine, and um, mm-hmm. he just doesn't seem to have any kind of focus though on what could possibly go wrong. And I think that is ultimately what went wrong. <laughs> you know, it, before we move on from cancel me, I, I just I did have one thought while listening to it, which is he may be making a commentary on how 
people getting me to getting canceled don't actually get canceled now. You know how like there's actually no consequences or it seems like very little consequences for those, those sorts of things actually happening. And I feel like potentially that's, that's part of the message he was trying to portray, you know, wishing that these things would happen just because all that, all that really happens is you're out of the, the limelight for a little while. And that's what he, it seems like he wants is a break sometimes. But I, I think if that is it, he, he failed a bit in getting that message across. And it, like you, like you kind of pointed out instead just comes across as gross and, and unthoughtful. So, um, and I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying. Like um, there's, I think a lot of potential here, but it's not fully formed. Like at, at points in the album, it really felt like he was almost like a, a darker um, zoomer version of Ed Sheeran in ways, you know, <laughs> kind of with that, like, I, I don't think obviously to the level of like the, the melody and, and creating hooks, but I think just like the sound, it's almost like a Jack Johnson-y acoustic, like pop sound that really like vibes. Um, like when, when he flips, uh, j-lo on empire Empire. yeah like that moment is just like you're just like oh fuck this this is great but then so many other moments on the album just feel like they're almost there and they don't quite hit so uh i don't know Uh, i i saw your reaction when i said like uh, a zoomer ed sheeran what what are your thoughts around that Uh, that, that's just funny that's just funny (laughs) uh and yeah vampires i think a good good look at that right because right vampire so blatantly uses the melody of the chorus of if you had my love by Mm -hmm. jennifer lopez yet the song is still really catchy and good you know and i i don't know if he had to split his publishing for that it is pretty blatant you know we've seen (laughs) we've seen lawsuits regarding production and stuff for way less at this point you know so i wouldn't Mm -hmm. be surprised if something like that happens i don't know um but yeah that that was definitely a moment for me i think chicken tenders little lower stakes song that, that song funny. sounds pretty nice as well um i saw politics and violence getting some buzz that song really doesn't do much for me but like that's where i think a little peep again because that's the song where like the vocals are like intentionally like muffled and like yeah, not like, like vampire you know and it's just like like maybe you could do something really cool with this type of sound but just to throw it on there at the end of the album basically it's like I don't know. It, it didn't, didn't do much for me, especially two songs after Vampire. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a doc, uh, an episode of the New York Times documentary series on Hulu right now about Dominic Fike. You can learn more about that story there. But, yeah, th- this, this was disappointing. And I, I've, I have struggled to, to listen to this, just, or just to grapple with the whole album because I was obviously really in on that hype, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, like I, mean, I feel like the legend was starting to tell itself too. It's like, man, he's on house arrest and he independently produces this demo tape and throws it on SoundCloud. And it's like, that is shades of Chance the Rapper making 10 day while he's suspended from school. It's the same thing, you know? And so far, one album in, one, one official full length in, I still find himself. That's okay. But yeah. I just wanted more now. The the best is definitely still yet to come for him, but we threw Vampire on our playlist because um, we like that. And uh, I think now it's time to move on to TV, talk about something else that I liked at least. I'm wondering if you liked it, The Umbrella Academy Season 2, which I, I'm saying in that, this tone because I did not expect 
to like this that much. We talked about season one, which I think uh, to summarize our thoughts, um, it had glimpses and moments of some cool stuff, but overall was a bit of a mess and uh, heavy and not well paced and, and I think poorly written and plotted out at points. Um, ending in a, now that I'm reflecting on it, a pretty bizarre finale, I feel like in, in a lot of ways, like playing that violin as the moon exploded, just very, uh, very strange. But season two, you know, they, they time jump in order to try to go back to avoid the apocalypse. And uh, they go back to Dallas in 1963, about 10 days before JFK is shot. Now they all go, they all come back at different times and they live life in Dallas for, uh, their own separate periods of time leading up to when they all come together about 10 days before. But how did you feel about just like the setup of this season? And then just like the overall feel of the umbrella Academy season two. Well, that's what's so funny to me is when I was going in to watch episode one, I was like, I went back to watch the like recap that Netflix usually has for returning series and even watched our review of season one and I still had a lot of gaps. I was like, I still don't remember a whole lot from season one beyond that. I didn't really like it all that much. And I was like, this is not a good sign or a good starting place. (laughs) But, you know, I think season two, it, I think it's still less than the sum of its parts as a season of TV. There's still standout moments and things to like about it. But for me, the narrative is just really... uh, kind of kind of suspect and kind of picks and chooses when it cares about certain rules it establishes and usually I'm not a, I'm not even a, really a stickler for that but it did feel like we kind of dragged our feet with things and again th- there's some things I really didn't did like I think spoilers are Ritu Arya who plays Leela so like a freaking steals mm-hmm. every scene she's in I thought she was fantastic she's great man but on the other hand, I'm like, man, you have this whole story around the JFK assassination and Luther comes back and he's working for Jack Ruby and like <laughs> what you did with that just wasn't that cool. Like there was so much potential there. And I'm like, I feel like Watchmen was way more interesting when they barely alluded to the fact that the comedian killed Kennedy, right? And it's like, that let me down. I even thought the stuff with, with the civil rights movement and like the sit-ins and stuff, I thought I ultimately thought that was kind of boilerplate, you know. Like I, I also thought that could have, could have done more. And uh, you know, I think the, the key the key thing about the season, right, is that everyone's separated, so we have all these different subplots. And for me, I think some of them just hit way better than other ones. But for sure, definitely has good moments. Yeah, you know, I think what I liked most about this season is last last season they really leaned into like the family trauma aspect of it which is is fascinating from a psychological perspective but from like a tv um enjoyable perspective like this is way more marvel than watchmen and um if you're going to go the watchmen route you need to be a lot more well written and thought out than the show really is which is fine like it's fine being just a superhero show and when it's sillier when it leans on the the action fight scenes set to like a, a fun song whether it's backstreet boys or so many yeah there, there's so idol, many yeah Billy idol kiss like yeah the <laughs> soundtrack on this is great and when it when it leans on those moments you're like okay this show has some great great stuff um i think when it goes more into the, like the relational side of things is when 
things kind of fall apart a bit. And I also think the uh, the story with the the handler and the what's the name of um, the uh, organization she works for? Missioning. Yes. Uh, when it when it comes to them, I I just kind of don't care and and don't get it. Yeah, no, no, that shit just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I, that's like, why I can't invest so much in the narrative because there's just shit is just confusing and is is really unclear, right? right? And then like I think about like five, who five is more or less the driving force through most of the season once again, and on his face, a very interesting idea and there's cool stuff with him, but it's like, why can the guy who can teleport wherever he wants? And also kind of control teleporting back and forth through time now, which was a, a, an issue originally. Why is he um, just waiting in the back alley for everyone to show up at the designated time and not just going to find everyone? Like, why, why is that like a, a pain point for him? I just, that felt really contrived to me. Um, and like, I was like, why, why, why is, why is this confusing? Why is this the way it is? You know, um, I also thought that the Swedish trio of assassins, <laughs> they felt really unnecessary, but also they just weren't as cool or interesting as Hazel and Cha-Cha from season one, yeah. Cameron Britton and Mary J. Blige, you know, it's like the, they, they, they also didn't really add up. And I honestly, like, I'm curious to see what you feel, how you feel about Vanya. Cause her subplots, one of the bigger ones. And I honestly still find her quite the tough hang. You know, on one hand, I'm sure Ellen Page was really happy to portray a lesbian a relationship on screen i'm sure she was really really excited about that but for me it just kind of felt really bogged down there's a lot of like really predictable beats about about that one um yeah well, how'd you feel about vanya this season yeah you know well vanya last season was such a downer <laughs> um i was almost happy to just see her getting a somewhat normal character uh arc in a way where she has mm-hmm. her own subplot that and she rec- like she learns she has powers. The fact that she doesn't have memory, um, you know, I'm, uh, it kind of allows her to not be totally burdened by the fact that she caused the apocalypse prior, um, and to kind of have some cognitive dissonance, which I think is necessary because that character is such an empathetic character that mm-hmm. if if she knew that right from the get go, she would probably say she should just kill herself she's, <laughs> um she's literally jean gray and dark phoenix that's right it's so 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 similar right and uh i i was just happy to see her get a, where it wasn't the same thing because that was kind of my worry she when she didn't remember who she was that she was going to like learn she had these powers kind of uncover her past and then she was just going to become the like the atomic bomb again and seeing ben um kind of get a chance to do more than just be Klaus's sidekick and actually have like a nice moment was cool and it seems like he's going to be more of part of the series moving forward um, which is also cool Um, and also having like the final scene not be Vanya you know going dark toll dark phoenix but actually like the family thing works out was kind of nice so there was like some good moments but overall I don't I don't know if like the stuff with the family really hit with me Um, like I think Harlan I I don't give a shit about Harlan. Not gonna lie. No. Um, and uh, the the relationship between Ellen Page and uh, I'm forgetting the other actress's name. Yeah. Didn't really. The name. It felt a bit. I don't. I don't know if it felt like it was totally earned. Like, it, and I guess maybe we're supposed to believe that the relationship grew faster than maybe it's portrayed on screen. But I just felt, kind of felt like it went from being like Harlan's caretaker to now all of a sudden in this relationship. So. Right. 
uh, I don't know. And then uh, I was also wondering how you felt about the, uh, the civil rights stuff. Yeah. It's a bit up and down on that. Yeah. No, I thought it was really boilerplate, really, uh, really, really down the middle. And it's like, you have, you have this ability to tell rumors and influence people's actions. I understand you know how time travel on t in mediums right you don't want to fuck up the past the, the future too much right so i understand why she didn't go od with that but she also never expressed that thought right. to like five or luther or anything and it's like it almost seemed like she was just kind of twiddling her thumbs as a character and it, it was kind of strange to me i did like the guy uh, i forget his name the, the actor who played her husband though thought he was pretty good yeah ray um, yeah yeah he was good um and uh, you know to circle back you mentioned ben i thought ben you know when when he, when he uh takes over klaus's body and then when he's just talking to people and he's like like talking to Vanya, he's like hey can you hold me while i go and it's like, mm-hmm. like as you said i think it was really nice to see ben this version of the ben character who we only know is the ghost uh mm-hmm. have more to do and kind of kind of have a, a circle complete and have that arc kind of land i think in a, in a good way overall my favorite favorite subplot was definitely klaus just because he's the comic relief he's hilarious and like yep. him leading this like commute commune like he's freaking david koresh or something while he doesn't <laughs> even really want to do he's trying to run away from them they won't leave him alone like there's some really good stuff <laughs> with that and uh you know i think klaus is even more manic in season one but like i think there's really good potential with him and yeah i agree and robert sheen's great as him he is yeah uh, he's definitely, I think, my favorite performance. And L- Luther and Diego, I think they're probably still the weak links to me. Diego, at least, was a little cooler this time because of his links to Leela. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're they're just kind of like down the middle characters, you know? They're not they're not that cool. Yeah, and they're kind of set up to be the losers, right? Like, uh, everybody kind of, make, like, uh, Luther gets made fun of for his flatul- flatulence, um, for being, like, this really, like, big guy who eats a lot and you know don't make the weight joke sort of thing and diego's the stupid one who can't figure things out and he kind of gets clowned on by his dad um but i I actually really liked diego's development in this season because it feels like they're making him seem a lot more competent than he is and i think also the way that he kind of used the uh his like position with with leela and her putting him into the um, God, I really can't remember the name of that organization. Commission. Yeah, the commission. Sorry. Um, the way that he she kind of like brings him into the commission, he kind of uses that. Felt a bit more like a, uh, kind of like a mystery type thing, or like a, a had to solve problem type plot. Um, yeah, Luther. I just don't even know where you go because you kind of have the thing with him and his sister, um, and that was kind of the driving conflict for him in the first season. And now I guess the driving conflict this season was for him to, I don't know, confront his dad, which I actually really liked that scene where they all sat down with Reginald Hargreaves. And I want to talk about that in a second, but really after that, Luther's just kind of like the sidekick to five as five confronts his older self. Um, Mm -hmm. I do want to say Aiden Gallagher as five, uh, that, that kid's a great performer. Like I I think for every, all the weightlifting he had to do this season, he really kills it. Yeah, and Aiden Gallagher's only 16 now. He might have been 15 when he shot that. You know, it's yeah. like he he is quite impressive, and like there's tons of dialogue. You know, he he's 
I think, you know, pretty, pretty snappy performance. Uh, he, he's a lot of fun for sure. And, you know, some of the detours he does, even they don't make sense, right? It's like, why did we waste time having five go execute the board of the commission again, when he couldn't get all of his family to show up on time. It's like, there's just, there's logical narrative gaps consistently through the show, but I think as you've been saying, there are fun moments that they kind of hook you back and yeah. You know, even if those like, all right, here comes the fight scene with, with the, with the music that, you know, and the lyrics that are really spot on to what they're feeling or doing. And it's like, I don't know if that always hits when you do it five times in the season, but it's still pretty enjoyable. I think overall the show looks really strong. Like, yeah, uh, it's, for sure. it's like really well lit, you know, saturation's really cool and stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just really not invested all in the narrative. And it feels like with season three, it's could again, be a total reset. And I think, I think that's a problem where you, you risk diminishing returns. If you keep making the same mistakes when you do this like mm-hmm. time travel stuff. So at least maybe it's going to be something different, you know, versus, because this time again, it was, let's stop the apocalypse again. Yeah. You know, it's like, you can't do that. Like, keep, keep doing it that way. So we'll see. How did you feel about that scene where they all sat down with, with their dad, Reginald? Yeah. You know, I, I like that. I think that's really cool. And that, that's some, some of that. And even when you see uh, older five as well, it's like, there's, that's like where the potential with like time travel storylines are, where it's like you, you interact with intelligent characters and you, kind of convince them in real time of your circumstances and you see what happens. So that's really fun. But then it's like, what, like, I think it was, it was the same episode where Reginald goes back and he kills all like those like higher up commission dudes and reveals that he's an alien or something like, yeah, I don't know. Where did this come from? Yeah. Um, I'm very interested to figure out what he is. And that's how that felt just totally out of nowhere. Uh, I don't think it's the same episode. I think it's actually like the second to last after JFK is killed. Sure. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, it, I, I definitely am really interested to see more about Reginald and seeing some of the flashbacks of Reginald with his wife, like, and how they kind of developed Pogo and things like that. Mm-hmm. I thought that opening Pogo scene was actually pretty, yeah. um, it pretty well done. Um, and definitely I felt invested and in, I didn't want to see Pogo hurt, you know, when he had his <laughs> bodies all messed up, I felt really bad for him. So, uh, I don't know, animal, animal cruelty, not really mm-hmm. obviously animated, but. Uh, makes me sad. Any last thoughts, though? I feel like we've talked enough about <laughs> the Umbrella Academy. You know, this was the season one was the third biggest show on Netflix in 2019, beyond behind Stranger Things and The Witcher. So even though we don't have an official season three renewal, um, it's that sounds pretty darn safe to me. So yeah. gonna keep watching it. I just hope I can invest more in the story because. Um, I struggle at times, you know, sometimes I think it is, I want it to be more like X-Men and not just mm-hmm. kind of like X-Men because X-Men's awesome. So that's how do we not have a selfish, X-Men? stupid thing to wish upon this? Cause this is its own IP from dark horse, but yeah, that's where I'm at right now. We, we need to get just an X-Men live action TV show going. Oh, that'd be like, sick. We just need to get it. Anyways, why don't we move on to something I think less people have watched than umbrella Academy Summerland less people. You sure? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, how many people have seen this, you think? Like uh, a million? You know, maybe if we do the numbers in like England. It's right. Closer. <laughs> it, I think it did get a theatrical release there like last year or something. But yeah, Summerland where the living's not easy because it's World War II. Yeah. Well, actually, Dave, I don't think this was released until July 31st of this year. So 
Um, unless movie theaters are open over in England now, I don't think it's had that theatrical release yet. I think they are um, a little bit, but yeah, probably not. And th- this stars uh, Gemma Arterton, um, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Lucas Bond, and a couple other people. But really, I think it centers around uh, Gemma Arterton and Gugu Mbatha-Ra as mm-hmm. this story of this eccentric writer and this uh, kind of orphan child during World, World War II. Um, and I think it, this movie really surprised me. You know, it's directed by Jessica Sw- uh, Swale, um, probably her first like big directorial Correct. film. And I, I found this movie pretty moving um, in a lot of ways. I think, um, I think the way that this story and this plot kind of unravels layer by layer is the most impressive piece to me because this yeah. felt like one type of movie from the get-go and where it finally ends up it was really surprising how did you feel about it though yeah I, I think that's right you know it's on its face as a period drama when you start watching you're like all right there, this isn't doing anything new but it seems to be doing that stuff well so that's that's good enough cool and then you as you said there's a really i think expertly laid twist that i don't think you really see it coming because you know you're not going into the movie expecting there be something like that. You know, this is not a layer I was anticipating. I think that that's weaved in such a strong way that you know I, I think overall the script is just it, it is pretty impressive for the way it uh, it tells the story. And you know, I went into this pretty blind. I just knew this was going to be an IFC release here in the states. I knew it got some love already for people that had seen it at I think some festivals, but you know, not really knowing what to expect. When you watch the movie and there's kind of this like whimsy to it, right? And like you said, there's some moving moments. I think initially it's like when they're talking about uh, Summerland, the castle, right? And they're like, like looking out to sea and trying to see it. And like that moment when uh, she storms off and then she sees the castle actually does fly green flags on the turrets. And she's like, oh, fuck, he did see it. And it's like, what? You know, that she goes yeah. back and it's this whole thing and they start making that connection. I actually got some vibes of uh, Miyazaki's uh, Studio Ghibli film, Castle in the Sky, actually. Kind of a similar um, sense of wonder with that. But, you know, then you get that whole extra layer with Guguma Batara's character. And initially I'm like, all right, cool. This just be the, the flashbacks. And, you know, you kind of understand that. It was this understated uh, homophobia at the time, obviously. Yeah. And like where that's coming. And you have this kid and this, you know, she's kind of finding herself and being less uh, more social as a result of this kid and then you realize this whole other relationship angle and yeah i i thought i thought i thought it was done pretty well and you even have that th- the classic third act thing that that race against time gotta gotta go mm-hmm. get the person like again a familiar beat but i think it's done pretty well and in this case you know it's under the, the pretense of the blitz in london during world war ii and you know, there actually is some this sense of you know urgency real urgency and then I think the, the further surprise that Kuguma Rotaro's character returns like in real time yeah. to the story. So yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. You know, it, on its face in the first act, this story seems like a, you know, outcast, cold, closed off person kind of thrust into this parental role and uh, you know, how, her and this child are going to develop this relationship and you know the conflict around that will they will she keep him will she will she not um but like you kind of i think astutely laid out this quickly becomes a movie about 
relationships, uh, specifically um, gay relationships. Uh, I think it becomes a story about motherhood and uh, the choices we make uh, towards being parents or, or not. And I, I think in the end, where it kind of wraps up and, and thankfully a really uh, great place uh, for, for those that are kind of fans of the characters in the story, um, the story about love and a story about love on, on, in all different ways, not only in uh, you know romantic love, but parental love, friendship love. Um, you know, it, it really just surprised me because I, I really felt like I had this movie tabbed as like, ah, okay, this is like an artsier, I don't even know, like Mrs. Doubtfire or something like that. It's not <laughs> obviously silly in that way, but like, you know, parent finding what it means to be a parent and why, mm-hmm. but um, definitely uh, surprised me. And I, I really love that. And I thought this was shot really well. Like it, it really felt like you were in like the English countryside and I'm sure it was Kent. probably shot on location in some ways and, and the setting was just beautiful like those like cliffs and being by the ocean um yeah it almost kind of had like a uh, um lord of the rings type feel like when they're in the shire in some ways like the like her little hut where they all lived i thought that was pretty cool so um you know i don't mm-hmm. i don't think this is a movie that obviously would have done big numbers if it was out and it's not a movie that's gonna win any awards but it's just one of those solid like a A24 type drops. I don't even think this is an A24 movie, but um, you know, it's originally Lionsgate. Yeah. It has that, it has that feel. So in the budget was barely a million dollars. It only made back 59,000. So, well, yeah, I mean, but yeah, you don't hold that against it. Who's to say, (laughs) Um, Any other thoughts around Summerland? No, it, it, um, again, for a movie, I went in with really no expectations, no knowledge of it still managed to surprise me for sure. So that, that was cool. Uh, a movie I think we were had a lot of anticipation around it was an American pickle dropped on HBO this past week and uh, starring Seth Rogen. It's the uh, solo directorial debut debut from Brandon Trost, who's been a, a fairly frequent collaborator with Seth Rogen. Um, you know things like Neighbors and The Interview. Um, or this is the end. Uh, also, was the cinematographer for a lot of movies you've probably seen. You know, MacGruber is probably one of the ones in there that uh, has a, the most name recognition. Um, you know, it, just before I guess we get too far into it, uh, Seth Rogen as an actor, where are you at with him? Uh, I mean, I loved Long Shot. That was a year ago. You know, right? But like. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I feel like if you if you had mentioned like Seth Rogen, like when Sa- when Sausage Party came out, right? And I, mm. now I'm I'm trying trying to think of when like that was like 2016, jo- I think. Yeah, and Jobs was 2017, I believe. Uh, Which movie? Jobs. Like the Steve you know, Jobs movie, where he played Wozniak. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and, around that time. Yeah, 15, 16. And you know, if you had if you had mentioned like Sausage Party or like This Is the End, I probably would have been like, eh, you know, he's he's fine. He's funny. He's in these like goofy, like Judd Apatow, like movies. Um, obviously he's a product of Apatow time from all the way back from freaks and geeks. Um, but he really has developed, I think some really strong dramatic acting chops and you know, whether it's him as Wozniak or even in long shot, there's some moments where I think he really shines as not only just a comedic actor, but just an actor in general. Um, and I feel like he meshes this together pretty well in this film, but I feel like this film 
is kind of similar to Dominic Fike. I feel like it almost gets there, but then falls short of it. Like it almost says something about this, but then kind of falls short. And it's, it's a bit of a like social commentary um, that never, I think, fully reaches its, its potential. How did you feel about American Pickle? Did you feel like it, it said what it was trying to say? Yeah, that's interesting because, again, going in, it's like, this is another movie that I didn't really like. I didn't watch the trailer for American Pickle. I just kind of knew that it was coming to HBO Max after uh, Sony sold, sold it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Seth Rogen vehicle, comedy vehicle. A little rarer than you'd think of late, which, as you've been saying, they're like kind of weird thing to think about. But yeah, I mean, obviously I'm in. And this is on HBO Max, not part of that Warner Max film label. Mm-hmm. Right? The union of HBO and Warner Brothers, even though they didn't actually make this movie. Uh, yeah, but you go in like, like okay, it's, it's going to be a comedy. And like, I, I didn't expect to have such heavier themes. You know, like, I didn't expect that opening uh, segment where we have that square aspect ratio and we, we mm-hmm. have Hers- Herschel Greenbaum get married to Sarah Snook in black and white. And it's like, huh, this movie is about family, I guess. And you watch the movie and it's like also little bits of coming back to your faith in Judaism. It's like, wow, didn't, didn't think that was going to be in here either. It's actually a bit of a Jewish film. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then towards the end of the film, the third act into the second, into the third act, we get this really modern and prescient topics, uh, the discussion, I guess, of uh, cancel culture and free speech and all these really in the, in the consciousness talking points. And I'm like, wow, I, again, didn't really see this part coming either. But I still, I still liked it. I thought, I thought the main premise I thought was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the most unrealistic thing to me uh, was the pickle pickling of the person. Well, besides that, it was like <laughs> he's found there's this condemned building in New York City that was just completely undisturbed this whole time where, where, where his pickle brine was. I was like, this is New York City. Like that condemned building is still on a lot of land that's worth fucking who knows, hundreds of thousands of dollars at least, right? I was mm-hmm. like, this isn't realistic. But yeah, <laughs> well, I, well, I thought it was hilarious the way they uh, uh, wiped away the, again, the, 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 the magical realism that was uh, someone surviving being brined in pickle, uh, pickle brine, right? Where it's like, the scientist explained it, his logic was sound, everybody was satisfied. I was like, wow, that, <laughs> that's a really smart way to write that. Yeah, uh, I thought that was good too. Yeah, you know, I I agree. I th- I think um, I think when it touches on like family dynamics and things like that, it, the message gets across. I think where I think I felt like it didn't necessarily get to exactly what it was trying to say was when it was talking about things like cancel culture or talking or making fun of like Brooklyn uh, hipster culture yeah. and things. Wow, like get, that. get your Williamsburgs jokes in. Those are right. still <laughs> still new. Yes. Yeah. So, so the, the, those sort of things I don't think hit. I think the one political joke I really hit though was how he was saying all these absurd and ludicrous things, but the second he says anything about Christians and and, and Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's when like the mob comes after him, so to speak. I thought that was a fairly yeah. uh, interesting and, and, and astute joke. Um, but yeah, like I, I really felt like the movie kept coming to something that I just didn't totally hit on, but I still found Seth Rogen so enjoyable in this dual role. Like, and it, the, the 
CGI and how they kind of put him together and the acting of, you know, obviously acting across from somebody that they then spliced together. It, I thought it was just really impressive um, because it, it, it never really felt to me like, Oh, they, these are two different people. I think there's like one shot where you see the, the younger green bomb walking ahead and you can kind of tell it's not Seth Rogen in the shot. Like it's just the, yeah. like the body double. But other yep. than that, like, you know, it, it never really felt like, Oh, it's two separate people or, it's it's not Seth Rogen, so I thought that was pretty well done. And yeah, seeing Sarah Snook, dude, like good for her. Give Shiv all the roles. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was wondering, like, when you're watching, I'm like, hmm, is this a bit role? Is she gonna come back somehow? Definitely not. Uh-huh. She died. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like everybody else at, during that time. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no. I mean, it's funny. Like for a film that actually dabbles with a lot of themes and to various levels of effectiveness i don't know like, i feel like i still don't have like a whole lot to, to share on it it's like it's still pretty enjoyable and it's again it's nice to see seth really command a uh, a comic film even one that has some really dramatic undertones like this one um and i think i like the way it ended too you know the way he uh yeah what, what's uh herschel and what's a uh, ben greenbaum yeah yeah the way ben gets like fucked in the end and actually gets mm-hmm. gets uh deported right and then you had the whole part with like, canada leading up to that I, was like, I actually really liked the way this 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 went and then uh him finding his faith a little bit and coming to grips with his new situation and then having herschel go back and like switch places with him again it's like like i i think it's actually it's somewhat moving you know for again a movie you're going in not expecting that at all yeah, I, I think that part felt a little bit formulaic because, you know, it's it's a bit like, all right, like the, the younger generation has to accept the, the older generation and vice versa. You know, yeah. like the way that, that Herschel gets out of it is by looking like Ben and, um, you know, going back and, and understanding what, what Boop-Bop means instead of it just being this like silly name. Like it's 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 about the, you know, it's a commentary on, how different times, different people of different generations need to try to understand each other and not just write each other off for, you know, one being young or one being old. But um, I, I definitely think it worked. And it was only an hour and a half. It's a pretty quick movie. It moves at a brit- brisk pace. There's not really a lot of fat on the bone, so to speak. I wouldn't even say that there's a lot of like, like setups. Like it kind of just is like plot driven comedy, I feel like. Um, which is a, a bit rare for a Seth Rogen um, movie. But yeah, uh, it's funny because I was really looking forward to seeing this and I expected to kind of be blown away. And I was just kind of like, that was satisfying, but not yeah. anything that I'm probably going to like be telling people to watch necessarily. Probably, uh, I'd say late on the laughs, which is not yeah. something you want from a Seth film. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Definitely, it's um, not a long shot. Well, I think we're going to wrap up there. Actually, I think Longshot's on HBO now, pretty sure. Something like that. It's on something. I might, might go back and watch that. But anyways, Dave, what should the people be listening to for our non-mega return mm. podcast next week? That's the normal programming. We got Perry Mason. Season finale has wrapped up on HBO. Get into that. Uh, critically acclaimed film from Amy Simons, She Dies Tomorrow on Video On Demand. And the new album from... Afrofusion superstar Burn a Boy. That's what we got so far. We'll see what else we tack on there. Uh, Burn we a get boy. that Victoria Monet album that already came out, Jaguar. We'll see. Um, but yeah, the content gods have been good so far. The weather gods, 
for a little bit. We're not, but we're getting through it. At NostalgiaPod on Twitter, uh, youtube.com slash NostalgiaPod, five-star rating and review on iTunes, soundcloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to find all the ways to listen to the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Stay safe, wear a mask. Yeah.